0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat perform I am with April Blackford. April, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. April's yawning, so she's going to get me yawning, too. But no, I I don't know if you look, but I'm fresh as a daisy. By the way, you know, Vicky was making fun of me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, see? the uh, So she denied me access um, yesterday going to the gym, she's like, I'm not going to the gym with you. you are wearing those damn things. So I, I decided to wear them for the
1: podcast in, in the house. Yeah. When you're sitting down so no one can see them. Um, just for the record, Tom saw the picture that she posted on Instagram and he asked me, he was like, Paul posted a picture in some weird shorts. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, those are the, the acid wash shorts that he was talking about. You got to go with the plaid pants. The plaid Tell pants. <laughs> Tom broke Tom broke bro code? What the
0: heck? I'm never going to have his back on anything now. You know? He has no idea how many times I've had his back, and now all of a sudden he's throwing me under the bus, man. You know, these shorts are the best shorts that I have by far. Not even close. I don't care. Who as long my, as
1: you like them, that's all that matters.
0: That is all that matters. Um... It matters a little bit.
1: <laughs> I do. I, do. I, I really think your your plaid pants are styling though, even though you said those were pajama pants. But those are awesome.
0: Well, and then the the silk robe, <laughs> you know, from the from the open. So, yeah did i did I tell you that story? The um, I I come in, and they're like, uh, "Hey, did you see my email?" And I was like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." Well, we want you to wear this negligee. I'm like, what the hell, you know? And so the two gals from my gym basically bring <laughs> me into the women's restroom, and they're like, here, put this on. I was like, all right, fine, you know. And so uh, the other two guys who are in pajamas, they're like off to the side, you know. Once again, disowning me. Here I am, just being a good sport. And and all of a sudden, you know, I'm in a silk robe kind of doing a little dance to to sexual healing by Marvin Gaye. So, you well, know, I must
1: say pink is your color. You should wear more pink,
0: man. I don't know how women keep those things, especially like if, you know, like, I mean, I have pretty decent delts and I couldn't keep the, the straps on my uh, shoulders. So I don't know what that's about. Um, half the video that I posted the slot was like me trying to just keep those things up. Um, okay. But, yeah, the uh, – no, so uh, April and I were talking a little bit earlier, and I was trying to, th- I was trying to think of, of a good um, poker story that I could bring to you because it was just like it, – it was so funny when, when poker was a, a, a big thing in my life. You know, I've talked before. Like, I was really kind of on the periphery of, of poker you know, I mean, I I definitely won a lot more money than than the good majority of people do. I went deep in a lot of poker tournaments. I mean, I remember thinking to myself, "Man, wouldn't it be cool?" You know, to be on the World Poker Tour. Did that for a year. You know, so all these things were really really cool. But one of the things that I was thinking of, and it still comes, is I still think of it to this day. We, this was probably now there. There was a time online where there were a few um, alleged celebrities that were playing online, one of which is going to be Batman soon, allegedly. And uh, basically uh, what would happen is when you had like these people playing and it it sort of got out, the more people would want to play with them. And so – these games were getting really huge. And there was another time where um, we were were in Aruba once playing a World Poker Tour event. And there was one person playing with his cards face up. And uh, someone said to me, you should play in that game. And I was more concerned with the other people in that game than I was with the guy playing face, his cards face up. Obviously, I could beat that guy, right? Um, but we were talking about a lot of money, and so the way that poker players kind of dealt with that, and it, 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 it's sort of interesting when you think of it from the perspective of how you get good at poker, because when you think of how you get good at poker, it is very similar to how you get good at health, you know, where you're looking at data, you're trying to analyze what works and what doesn't, and then you're trying to adjust on the fly. And so that's something that I was relatively decent at. Was I best in the world? Um, No, but have I played with the best in the world? Absolutely, many times, you know. Um, In fact, some of the biggest names in all of poker, you know, they had to go through me, you know what I mean? They had to go through kind of like the regular games. I mean, there was a time where like 8160 limit poker, was like the biggest thing going, and I was very good at 8160 limit poker. And so, you know, somebody like Phil Ivy who's like the biggest name going now, you know, I'd be playing against that guy all the time. And uh, I'm sure he has no clue who I am, uh, but, you know, it was it was one of those things where you kind of cut your teeth, and as people kind of moved past you, it was kind of interesting to say that, you know, you were, you were kind of a uh, – a pit stop in their poker careers, right? And so, one of these nights, there was there was a new game um, online. Previous to this, there was really no paid limits. There was the the biggest limits was five ten no limit, which you get you know you could get five thousand dollar pots. But at this time, twenty five fifty had become like a thing, and you know they were playing it live a lot. And so they brought it online. The the first company to ever do it was was Ultimate Bet. Um, And so a lot of people showed up at Ultimate Bet as a result. And so remembering back to the guy that was playing his hands face up, me and two other friends of mine had pulled my money. I think I've actually told this story in the past, but not the specifics of what I'm about to say. So, Virtually since the first day, you know, I was I was probably the most accomplished live game player um, of the three of us, and so I was the one driving, and what driving means is when I started off, we, as I recall, we started, we pulled together about $10,000. Now, we had much more than that online, but we'd, we'd allocated between the three of us that You know, this is what we were willing to lose to take a shot at this big game. And so, uh, you know, I opened it, I opened up the first table at 2500. We had all these rules and stuff that we quickly ignored. I mean, it was so funny how quickly we ignored because, you know, things were just changing that quickly. And so I think, you know, I ran the 2500 up to 25,000 and a about 35 minutes or something, it was like really quickly. Um, then we started to open up more tables with the with the, the money that we had in these accounts. And I don't know what's going on a little my lip is kind of weird right now. Um, so I opened up two additional tables with 2,500 each and both of those end up at about 25,000. So started off with $7,500, and we're at $75,000. You know, pretty good night, right? And the big concern is that there's other people at the table that also have stacks as big as yours. And so if you get into a big hand with those people, you're either going to win a really big pot or you're going to lose a really big pot. And previous to that point, we hadn't really needed to gamble To get to seventy-five thousand dollars, so we were like, you know, there's really no point in really pushing the issue, and so we were sort of playing scared a little bit. But um, you know, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? If if you basically walked, you know, started hours before that, and now you're at seventy thousand dollars, but but we pretty much had all of our money tied up at this point. in the three tables, because you know we had kind of capped off the twenty five hundred. It's sort of hard to explain this; they're not really relevant to the story. Um, so I get in one hand, and I can't remember exactly the hand, but it was it was something like. Um, let's see. I, I can I can recreate it. I must have had a set of fours. Um. And which means that I had three of a kind. So I flopped three of a kind and the first guy, the first position guy comes out and bets like thousand dollars. And so I just smooth call him for thousand dollars. You know, I have 25,000 in front of me. I remember he had something like 20 and then another guy then bets the pot. and So he bets the pot. And so it's like $10,000, you know, to call. And I'm like, oh shit, what do I do here, you know? Um, And it's funny because I knew both of the guys in the pot because we weren't there trying to beat each other. We were there trying to beat the stiffs, right? And so I know that the other two guys in the hand are good poker players, right? So they're not messing around here, you know? So then the guy in the beginning position now re raises him. So I know I've got to go all in for 25 grand to see how this is gonna go. And I've got bottom set. So I fold, you know, so I, I you know I lose a thousand dollars in that scenario, and it, you know, the pot goes on and basically the pot's like sixty thousand dollars and uh um the laydown that I've made is not uncommon. Um, these days, but it was very uncommon those days. I mean, if you had three of a kind, you just you just went all in and you said, Hey, look, I took a bad beat there. From our standpoint, we were up 70 grand, we lose a thousand dollars here. And I remember, you know, getting frustrated at the, the scenario and then leaving relatively quickly and walking away with the money that we had won that night. The guy in the beginning position, this is why I know what the hand was. um, He had a set of sevens, I had a set of fours, and then the other guy had a straight and a flush draw. And so um, the guy with the straight and the flush draw actually had a little bit better odds than both of us since some of the things that we, some of the hands that made us would have kind of negated each other. And ultimately, um, you know, like I said, both these guys were were friends um, of mine. I knew them. They didn't know each other. Um, When I told Thomas later on, who was the guy that wins the $60,000 pot, I mean, the other guy in the pot was also a really good friend. And he wasn't like Thomas. Thomas was a guy that played online and was used to winning lots and lots of money. The other guy was like us. You know, he was just there because there was a lot of bad players. He had worked his stack up to about $20,000. He gets it all in and, you know, he loses a $60,000 pot, you know, or whatever it ended up being, but it was a lot of money. And so that was an example of like, like, you know, when you think of it and you think of poker and you think of kind of the way that your life works, I mean, you're talking about seconds, you know, you're talking about a video game where someone wins $60,000. Now, later on, the stakes became much, much bigger. There was a time in that period where there were bad players, you know, um, there was a lot of basketball players that were playing online at that point. And the stakes started to get to be, you know, really high, 100, 200, no limit, you know, things of this nature. Guys that you knew you were better than could have at that point pulled with with other groups, um, but even if you pulled with people, you know at that point I had a lot more money in poker. I had been playing a lot bigger games. I was winning a lot, lot more. But you were essentially like taking, let's say, a quarter million dollars worth of risk for a five million dollar benefit, right? And for me, I was like, I'll just keep my quarter million, <laughs> you know. And so we were, you know, it, it was it was fun being on the periphery of all of it, and it was really exciting. And I have stories that most people don't have, but I never want to make it. I never want to make it seem like I was anything more than I was, you know. I was very good, you know, when um, everyone was bad, and then when people started to get a little bit better. It was harder. Now, can I beat poker games right now? Sure, but it, you know it's kind of a miserable thing. And I thought that was that would be kind of a fun thing um, to talk about because I think a little bit of what we're going to be talking about, and and you guys, you know, if you have any questions, you can. But I'm going to talk a little bit about um, performance-focused fat loss. Um, any any thoughts on the story there, April? Or oh, that, that,
1: that, you, that that thing that that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the uh, like I told Thomas after the fact, I said, you know, it had nothing to do with what I had or what I didn't have. It was just what I wasn't willing to lose, you know. And, and, you know, from that perspective, that's why Thomas is a much better poker player than I am, you know, because, you know, if you're willing to lose a little bit more, you obviously have the potential – to make a little bit more, but my game at that time, you know, and it evolved a little bit after that, but my game at that time was um, very, shoot, I always, it seems like every week I leave open Facebook and somebody messages me. Um, Let me just make sure and shut that down, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it it was interesting. Truthfully, though, I think it is kind of a lay down that a lot of people would make if I, for instance, if I had raised the guy in the first position, right, so let's say I make the, you know, make it four to five thousand at that point, and then Thomas goes all in, well, then we're all in for like $80,000, you know, and I'm hoping for a miracle one hour, which obviously, you know, didn't happen. I, I did see, see the end of the hand. Um, but yeah, but what what's interesting about it and kind of relating it to weight loss, fat loss, you know, and, and things of that nature, you're you're kind of playing a similar game, really, you know. And when you're looking at data and trying to use data, this is why, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people that we talk to on a daily basis are like, I've the scale or I don't have a, you know, tracker. And I'm like, well, in terms of tracking your activity, is it a cost issue? And they're like, well, you know, I hear they don't really work for workouts. And I'm like, yeah, but it gives you a much better picture. I mean, like, you know, in the case of the story that I'm talking about, you're taking incomplete information and you're trying to make decisions off of that. That's essentially what you're doing, your weight loss, fat loss, right? And so, um. When I first started, I wanted, I wanted to just sort of test the waters. It had been sort of a year I, since I looked at a cut. Um, you know, I was really focusing on building muscle, and I, I landed at 175. Looks like I put on about five to six pounds of muscle in that process, and so, so I'm pretty happy with that. But then comes the unhappy part, right? Where, you know, okay, well, do I, I keep going in this direction? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you are going to, <laughs> once again, I think, I think that's the drinking game. <laughs> that's the drinking game cliche that I constantly use. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, at some point, trying to regain nutrient efficiency is a plus and um some of the gains that i was able to make was a little bit of the performance focused fat loss that i did a year ago you know for them i'm sort of frozen but uh we'll see how that plays out um in the broadcast afterwards but for those that don't know last year i was kind of trying a little bit of an experiment where I did a couple of PFFLs back to back. And uh, I would say the second one was a little bit of a waste of time. And so when you know you go through you know eight to 10 weeks where your life kind of sucks, you kind of hope it wouldn't be a waste of time, right? But what was nice about it was figuring out some of the, the mistakes that I, I made um you know kind of one of the things that you know we often tell people you know is give yourself a little bit more time and so i chose to um kind of test that theory and um i was able to lose weight in that period but i wasn't it wasn't easy and i would have probably just been better off waiting 6 to 8 months Kind of what you know we would recommend for somebody in my situation, and so it was kind of confirming a bit of a lesson now it's been a year, um like I said, you know up roughly ten pounds, up about six pounds of muscle, um looking to lean out now, just to be clear, you know I was thirteen fifteen at one seventy five and so you know. We're not talking about like uber low body fat percentages where you're super, super uncomfortable and I'm trying to get stage ready and all that other type of stuff. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is just trying to maintain a certain weight to body fat ratio, right? And so that's, that's more or less what is sort of happening here. So I had the decision and I have been kind of talking about it over the last Probably five to six podcasts of maybe I would do this, maybe I wouldn't. And I'm in my second week, you know, and I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll just do a two week mini cut. But really, I'd like to get a little bit under 180 and sort of kind of use that. I mean, I think my body naturally wants to go to about 185, but I'd like to maintain a certain amount of leanness in that process. And so I think, you know, I mean we'll see how it plays out, but I think 5 to 10 years from now when we're talking, you know, I'm going to be 185-190, you know. And that's just how, you know, building muscle works, you know. Um for me, you know, my body seems to naturally want to go to um to 185. Now, there were a few things over the winter time that you know did kind of lend itself to you know being probably a little bit more um i wouldn't say undisciplined i mean i kind of knew what was going on at the time but my volume was severely compromised i was really struggling with sleep things of that nature and I wasn't able to sort of control things. I remember thinking to myself, we actually just bought a rower. Cause I was saying to my wife, I was like, if we had just bought the rower, like we talked three months ago, I probably wouldn't be performance focused fat lossing right now. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of the price you pay for being responsible. Right. And so, um, I think that, a little bit of practicing what you preach here is is kind of a fun thing. I also sort of like being able to show people how Eat Perform works, you know? And even though it's not fun and it does, you know, if, whenever somebody says to me, I'm doing performance focused fat loss right now and I'm not uncomfortable at all. I go, then you ain't doing it enough. You know what I mean? Because to see real results, you know, Oftentimes, it has to be a little bit uncomfortable, and part of what we sort of teach people is how to deal with those uncomfortable moments, how to make sure that you're getting your sleep in, how to make sure that you're working out at 100%. I mean, I would say that probably the biggest difference um, for me is just really for You know, I knew that volume was a big piece, um, but I I wasn't always 100% sure on which volume. And nowadays, I think it's fairly clear. If you're cutting and you don't have hypertrophy work in your performance-focused fat loss, you could potentially lose more muscle than you'd like, right? Now, you run into a little bit of a problem there, though. Because when you are doing hypertrophy work, you're essentially trying to send a signal to your body to build, but you're not giving your body the raw materials to do so. That's okay. You know, like for instance, you know, like I said, I I don't don't know if I said it, but I'm 184 right now. I actually did just buy a withing scale. Um, just so I could do the Wi-Fi and, and um, on my phone. Uh, have you ever had a scale that is lower than a previous scale? No. <laughs> I mean, what is the deal with that? Why are all the all the new scales, you know, they're always higher than the previous scale? That just seems like really fucked up. <laughs> you know, it's like all the scales and all scale manufacturers are you know, conspiring against April and Paul. And I'm assuming everyone else out there, cause I've never had anyone go, you know what? I got my new scale and it's five pounds better than the previous scale. I did actually, when I was in New York, um, for the, the seminar that we did there, um, the scale there was about five pounds lower. And I did offer to buy the scale.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a trick that I do with my scale. Um, I have, it's, basically you, you get on that barefoot and it um, supposedly reads your body fat you know but of course the body fat's going to be based on your hydration levels time of day all that crap so it can vary six seven percent on a given day and I was tired of seeing that different number so I strategically went back in and set my height to like seven foot one so now it gives me like a five percent reading every day <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's like, you know, my wife and I used to joke about how to get really skinny, and then we would just stretch as far as we could, you know, and that that was really our best best strategy. Uh, So far, so I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that, because, you know, I was talking about it today, and, and, you know, I've I've mentioned before, um, there's some differences this time around to previous times and so I'll talk a little bit about that because we're kind of playing with the experimentation there. Um, But we don't have anybody asking questions. We do have a lot of people here with us. Um, If you're not familiar with Eat to we have a lot of members on especially on Monday nights and they can ask us questions. These folks are being a little shy or apparently enjoying the show so we'll just go with enjoying the show at the moment. So, One of the things that I decided to do was do it without tracking. And I've talked a lot about the fact that I don't track when um, I'm outside of of PFL. And I'll often try to track um, as I get closer to try and get more specific. And I do think that that's really helpful for people. Now there are a few things that i will say that everyone needs to hear i know how much 140 to 150 grams of protein is you know i know how much 200 to 300 grams of carbs what that looks like you know i've measured all that stuff in the past so what i typically do is you know and i talked a little bit about this on um our podcast this weekend. So you can listen to that if you want to go over that strategy. But in general, you know, um, I have about 700 calories worth of oatmeal each day. And so I just decide, hey, you know what? I'm not going to eat 700 calories worth of oatmeal each day. And so, so far, that's been kind of good, right? Um, today, as an example, I did have oatmeal. Um, as my first meal, I had hy- the the last bit of hydrolyzed whey that I had in in my oatmeal. Oh my God! The so one of the discussions that we definitely need to have at some point is the differences between protein. But if you don't know, hydrolyzed whey basically breaks the whey protein into uh, the peptides sort of absorbs better in your small intestine. That process makes the whey protein taste like hate. I mean, it's just horrific how bad it is. Now, April made a suggestion to me. She said, I hear it tastes a little bit less like hate if you use double the flavoring. So basically, what I ate today, was double the flavoring with a hint of hate. <laughs> that's basically what it was, you know. Um, and so, what I try to do is sort of manage my day. I like to eat my meals. Um, uh, you know, obviously, I'm going to be relying a lot more on whole foods. You know, whenever you're cutting, that's going to always be a plus. Making sure that protein is 140 to 150 that's always a plus. So far I've been feeling pretty good with stakes. I'm down, you know, I, I started at like 187.2. Um, the lowest I've seen is 184.2. That was in a week. You know, that's your initial water weight type stuff. Um, already looking and feeling pretty lean. Um, and so, you know, I did get to the suck really fast, you know, which is is kind of interesting. And I and I may check in with um, some level of tracking, but I'm pretty sure I'm eating, you know, over 2000 calories. What I'm trying to do and what I'll ultimately do is describe, I mean, obviously I'm telling you guys right now, um, I think yesterday I had bun cake, um, Maybe that was the day pre no, I had bunt cake both days actually. I had the have you ever heard of nothing bunt cake? It's called oh. nothing Bundt cake. Um, yeah, they have they have like these bunt cakes, they're like 400 calories. I, I'm not completely clear if it's the bunt cake with frosting or without frosting, so that's probably something I should ask them next time. <laughs> um, and then they have like these little mini bunt cakes. Um, and so the one day I had. 400 calorie bundt cake. The next day, I had two of the little bundt cakes. Um, but I've had, you know, uh, chicken and rice, making sure that I'm getting a decent amount of fibrous vegetables. Had steak a couple days. So far, it's not been super uncomfortable, but definitely, um, as I'm trying to increase my volume, um, things have definitely been a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and and it should be right um and my goal each week you know i will say women don't see the results quite this way um but if you're not familiar with how i do it, it is basically to perform 101 is i'm trying to have as much activity and as much volume in place so that my deficit doesn't need to be that bad. You know, I think if I were to track, my calories would be 2,200 to 2,300 right now. But my activity, I'm trying to keep over 3,000. So essentially what what I end up averaging is about a 500 calorie deficit over the course of the week. That's my goal. My goal is, you know, for instance, on Friday morning, I weighed in at 184.2, my goal next Friday morning is um, 183.2. Right, I'm I'm trying to get a pound each week, and then once I have that pound, then boom, I have you know my high volume day, which you know happens to correspond with the CrossFit Open. Now, a lot of people would say to me, "Why are you doing this around the CrossFit Open? Don't you normally tell people?" to do it outside of season yes i do but crossfit open ain't my season i ain't making it to regionals the crossfit open is fun for me it's just it's just like a a goof off type of thing i'm not really trying to measure my overall progress now you know if i was i mean one thing i will do You know, my my progression on my deadlift right now is at 510. My next, I got a deload week coming up. And so I've got to make a decision whether or not I want to go to 520. I think I am going to try and see if I can get to that 520 number. Then I'll probably just take a couple deload weeks after that. And then that'll be, of course, towards the end of my performance focus fat loss cycle, which would be about eight weeks. But... From that 184.2, you know, I, I had I had my day, which I had I had, you know, the normal oatmeal, I had Chipotle, did the CrossFit open, went out for pizza with my wife um, for date night, which is the exact type of weight plus day that you want. And then the very next day I was at 185.6. That's exactly what you want. You want to send a signal to your body that, hey, look. You know, we're not already we're not always starving here. You know, um, this morning I was at one eighty four point eight, so all, already you can sort of see me trending down, right? And so, you know, obviously the path between one eighty four point eight to one eighty three point two, and I would say to people, I don't think that's the way you dieted. I don't think that's the way the good majority of people do it, and I think that's the difference. Now, will there be a time where it might be difficult? You know, like maybe my sleep gets compromised, or maybe my workout schedule. We'll see. You know, um, I mean, obviously, I'd like it if it could just go go down. I'd land at about one seventy-seven, then bounce back to to one eighty during my reverse. But um, the one thing that I would say in this process is that people don't factor in the things that you can't see. You know what I mean? Like like I said with the poker story, You know, you flop three of a kind, it doesn't necessarily occur to you that two other people might have a better hand than you. So you have to adjust at that time. And, and similar to what I did, that's what I'll do going forward. But I figured if I was going to go two weeks in, why not just go the extra six weeks? You know, that was my thought process. And that's why I ultimately made the decision. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, go to a physique show. I'm not going to diet down, you know, um, to seven, 8%, you know, this will get me back to you know, 13%, which is comfort. That's where that's where I like to be. Anything more than that, you know, I'd really like to do sort of building lean mass. You but know, you're, targeting,
1: you're targeting your – the last time you did a cut, you ended up around 172, 171, um, didn't you? So you're talking. Sort
0: of, it sort of depends on which one you're talking about, but,
1: But you're yeah. targeting – ending up with six pounds heavier to factor in added muscle. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah. So like, like at 175, I was between 13 and 15. And then now, um, essentially I'd be at 181 would be at about 15. And so I could potentially be 11 to 13, you know, um, once again, though, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that, that people, I don't have, you know, a big chest, um, I don't have big glutes, a lot of the problem areas that, that people, you know, like one booty, I don't look forward to one booty Wednesday. Let me just put it to you that way. Um, a lot of the things that people complain about, about building muscle in their lower abs That's not a problem for me, you know, because of, you know, having a big deadlift, you know, my lower abs are pretty developed. Now, sometimes when I'm carrying a little bit more fat, you know, it tends to be a little bit more pronounced because of that. A big part of the answer for me is to just be a little bit more proportioned, which is a little bit of what I'm working on, you know, where I'm trying to kind of build my chest a little bit more. Um, focusing a little bit more on single legged type work because my, you know, I don't really have the hips for um, kind of ass to grass work that might get me, you know, uh, the kind of glutes that you know maybe somebody like Chris Deeds might have just because of the amount of weight that they can squat at good form. I tend to need to do that with single legged work like lunges and and, and stuff like that. So, um, so that's the plan. I, I think that's a, that right there is a five to ten year project, truthfully, you know, um, that I'm working on. Now, I will say that my chest, my lats, you know, all these things are much more developed. I mean, it was interesting. I was looking at um, Barbell Shrugged when I was on Barbell Shrugged. Well, it was almost three years ago at this point, just how much smaller I was. Cause I was thinking I think it was 165 on that show. And you know, now being you know 20 pounds heavier with 15 pounds more muscle, you know, I just look like a totally different dude, you know. Um, which is cool, you know. Um, I think that sort of the way that people think of it when they show up at each perform is if I could just lose X amount of pounds or if I could just gain X amount of pounds, and really you'll be in that phase for the rest of your life. You'll always be playing some version of that game. I, I like I said, I, I really would, I, it would have been very interesting to see if when it started to get difficult to leave the house because of work obligations and lack of sleep and some of these types of things, if I had the ability to do more than just my airdyne, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, But I will say one of the things that's been interesting, the weather in Minnesota has been really good. So my volume has naturally been able to go up. And so this process so far has not been super uncomfortable. Obviously, at this point, you know, we're at the beginning stages. It shouldn't get uncomfortable at this point. But now one of the things that I did last time, and, you know, it's still this time as well, um, I, I don't often need to get. To that super uncomfortable level, and I think when you get to that super uncomfortable level, a lot of times you're digging into your muscle too much. You know that just depends on how much work you can do, and that's the argument for building work capacity, right? To where you can stay in the gym weightlifting for two hours. I mean, like even if you're doing hypertrophy work, even if you have rest, you know, you know, it still is tiring. and still will wear you out. You know. And so um, you got to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, Let's see, we got we got a couple questions. So Lindsay's saying, "What are you doing differently this time?" Well, this time, basically, I am not tracking. I am really trying to do kind of more of an experiment that's more intuitive. Um, I did talk a little bit about it on the podcast, kind of. A version of my old intermittent fasting days but a little bit smarter than it used to be you know because one of the things you know I talked a little bit about in Some of the intermittent fasting days was just Holding to a very specific Time window and things of this nature and then your hands would get cold and your feet would get cold and you know And then you'd be in this intermittent fasting group and everybody's like that's totally normal That shit ain't normal if you're losing your hand, and if you're losing your hair and your uh, your hands are freezing all the time, that shit ain't normal, you know? And so I'm trying to be a little bit smarter. You know, the big thing that Mike always talks about is, um, you know, Mike, might be Mike Nelson, resident PhD here at um, Eaton Forum, is uh, the, why am I always, it seems like every single Monday, I forget this, but. Um, Minimum effective dose, right? Where you basically are trying to have the least amount of interference, which is why I try to keep the volume high. So, you know, I mean, the, the basic way to say it is what's the easiest way to cut when you're burning 4,000 calories and you're eating 3,000 calories, or when you're burning 3,000 calories and eating 2,000 calories? 2,000 would get uncomfortable real quick. Three thousand is pretty able easy to adhere to. Now, does burning four thousand calories wear you out? You know, I can say that my work capacity probably isn't too comfortable there. If I were just you know run or whatever, um, I can get away with that kind of burn a day or two a week, but it would quickly add up on me. And so there has to be some kind of uh, compromise as it relates to, um, as to what, you know, I can do. Um, let me That brings up one question that um, I will bring up later, but we have a couple questions right now. And so if we get to this, um, what if I get to 183.2 by Tuesday. Well, what I do at that point. So I'll answer that later. So Lindsay's saying changing macros around. I'm not well, I mean, I'm certainly changing macros around. I'm certainly eating less. You know, I was I was I've been pretty active on Snapchat. I don't know if you guys are following that at all. I hope some people did because I told some people to come to the uh This webinar, and uh, but in terms of changing macros around, certainly I am uh, you know, eating fewer calories overall. Um, I would say that on you know, kind of Metflex 101, you know, if it's kind of a lower volume day, you know, I rely a little bit more on fats. It is kind of interesting, um, you know, I didn't. You know, I wasn't doing like 500 push-ups. I'll end up probably with about 200 push-ups today. Um, and then I w- ended up going for about a four-mile hike. Um, but my burn, I mean, right now, and I mean, my, my plan is to kind of share all this information as much as possible so people can kind of get some ideas on what might work for them. But my burn right now is like 2,600. Um I know for fact I have not eaten 2600, um, and so we'll see how that that plays out. The one thing I, I want to be a little bit careful of is just you know going too low. That has that hasn't been a problem up to this point. I'm trying to keep as much food in as possible, um, but I think it is kind of interesting. You know what a lot of people don't realize is that I went from 230 pounds to 162. And I maybe counted you know 14 days in that two year process. So, um, this was just how it worked for me best. Um, and so I'm trying to share that experience to people. So you know, a lot of people like the data. I'm making the argument for data right now, right? But I'm saying if you have other things in place, like for instance, one of the things I wouldn't do, is do this strategy and not weigh myself, right? If you're not weighing yourself, well then, you know, what are you doing? So you have to have some some markers no matter how you do it, right? Um, But yeah, you know, um, basically I'm delaying breakfast. You know, like I said today, uh, you know, I ended up having breakfast around 11.30 you know, just had oatmeal with protein powder. Um,
1: protein, powder also, protein powder dirty bomb in it.
0: Yeah, but protein powder that tastes like hate. Um, and then.
1: And, uh, so I was actually going to bring up, you were saying initially that one of your strategies was you eat 700 calories in oatmeal every day. And and for the most part, you were kind of dropping the oatmeal. But I was going to bring up the strategy, is which is something that I do rather than if you really like your oatmeal or something that you really enjoy and you have accustomed to eating it for the past year or so, that instead of eating 700 calories of it, you maybe eat 300, 350 calories of it. So you just eat a smaller serving of it.
0: That's what I did today? Yeah. The, um, now, I do have, um, I do have debitterized um, lemon cake coming so, I'm pretty excited about that, you know, um, because the other, hydrolyzed is bitterized, you know, or, or the hydrolyzation process is, is very bitter. Um, de-bitterized, if you've ever had anything like progenics, progenics is basically debitterized hydrolyzed way, which means that it's not as good as the, the, the normal hydrolyzed way, but you don't have to choke it down and hold your nose. So kind of similar to what April said. The other thing too, um, and, and Laura's asking me, how can I cut down any strategies on cutting down fat? It's funny that you should ask because the strategy that I use, I'm pretty open with the fact that I don't use supplements very often. Um, I can get you know because I eat 27 to 3,000 calories a day, I can get my protein numbers from meat. Now, if you only eat 1,800 calories, guess what? It gets more difficult to meet your protein needs. So then, when Laura says, "Well, okay, as you reduce your fat, you know, how do you deal with that?" Well, then I start using supplements more, and so.
1: See, I'm, I'm actually the, the opposite because if I went from 3,000 calories to 1,800 calories, with 3,000 calories, you're eating so much more. Well, be- well
0: just here, I, I just don't want people to get confused. I'm, no, I'm no, not, I agree, but not, I'm not eating 1,800
1: calories. No, I, I'm, I'm just making an example, but I'm saying for the for the intake to be lower, I would just add in leaner sources of protein like chicken, turkey, seafood, you know, things like that to to feel more satiated. That's all.
0: That is a good strategy. I find it very difficult to sort of choke that down,
1: right? I mean, like,
0: you know, when I have – like, for instance, a great example was the other day. You know, one thing a lot of people don't realize, you know, (laughs) I have to say, like, I didn't even realize it. April had to tell me. Um, But, you know, I was eating fillets a lot because filet's look relatively lean but but actually when you when you think of why a filet tastes so good and you look at the fat it's it's just slightly less than a ribeye so then i move to sirloin at times like this and somewhat it depends on how you cook it but if you have lean chicken for lunch and then you have sirloin for dinner man it just gets really hard to eat like super lean protein like that you know what I mean? I mean, are you with me there? April is shaking her head yes for all the people that are on the podcast.
1: Well, at some point you have to make sacrifices. You know, eating sawdust is, you know, it's part of, getting. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs>
0: well, no. I mean, yeah, but, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, whereas I normally don't eat a lot of supplements, you know, now of course, the supplements like vitamin D, um, you know, Fish oil, I, be honest with you, I'm not a huge fish oil guy, but I'm also not a huge omega-6 guy, you know. So I don't tend to have, like, my diet where, you know, I'm overly omega-6, so I have to throw in a bunch of um, omega-3s. But I will take them on occasion. Um, vitamin D and then creatine. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm never not going to have creatine. You know it's just the most beneficial thing as it relates to you know, gaining and, and maintaining muscle um and and you know like lane norton said you know somebody said uh, you know i don't take creatine because i feel bloated and lane norton said you know so you don't want your creatine to be anabolic right and so a little bit of bloated you know is is okay you know i mean it really is kind of interesting as i've kind of lowered my calories kind of cycled a little bit more than i normally would how quickly you know i was able to to lean out and um but looking at that state as the most optimal state in terms of building muscle that would be incorrect right you want to have a little bit of water you want to be able to pull that water into the cell and make the make the muscle more useful so laura that's the two strategies that's the strategy the strategy would be you could rely a little bit more on uh supplements in that scenario which typically don't have a lot of fat um like whey protein um casein He's seen it has a little bit more fat, I believe, um, and then, uh, you know, like April was saying, you could rely a little bit more on leaner meats. Once again, I made the argument in that scenario that if you just go super lean, you know. You, you just diet starts to suck too bad and you have to introduce some fat. I mean you have to you know and that's the argument for for being a little bit more active so you can be a little bit more flexible. So Sarah's saying, okay, so Sarah's got a long question. Last few pod podca- last few podcasts have really clarified a few things for me. I've been at this for almost a month. My biggest question right now is what is a training day versus a rest day? See this is an interesting kind of question because it used to be, we would also guess, right? But now you don't need to guess. I mean, if you have an activity tracker, you sort of know that the days that you're working out less, you burn 2200 and the days that you're working out more, you burn 2600. So now you know what a rest day is compared to a workout day. What I think is the more interesting question from Sarah, what Sarah's saying is, let's say that both days I I burn twenty six hundred calories, but one day I don't weight train, right? In that scenario, where you were a little bit more active, you know, maybe you were cleaning the house, maybe you were going for a hike, or or something of that nature, then you might want to up your fats a little bit. So you can sort of adjust for that. You, it's not super glycolytic, like And probably the best way to figure that out is the next morning. You know, if, um, you know, one day you burn 2,600 and you up your fats a little bit and you weigh yourself in the morning and you're relatively weight stable, then that's more correct. Um, sometimes your previous day you'd worked out, or maybe you have a workout planned. You know, As an example, on uh, Thursday night, I made sure that I had a good amount of carbohydrates in my meal the night previous because I knew that as I was sort of building to the CrossFit Open, I wanted to have enough energy. If you dig too deep a hole on the days before, you know, the days that you work out, it can be a net negative. And so you have to sort of play with carbohydrates. In general, you know, as most people know, you know, carbohydrates are gonna have a little bit of a water tax. And so sometimes your your weight might be up. Let's say that your weight is up a pound compared to the scenario where you were using fats, but then you walked into the gym the very next day and you had a much better workout. And then the very next day, you are weight stable. I would say that that's a net similar, right? And then you would have to ask yourself, which one do I want more? Do I want to work out better? Or do I want to keep my weight stable? Yeah. And we would make the argument that working out better is going to ultimately get you better body composition over time. And so I think that that's a little bit of the more interesting question. If you don't have an activity tracker, um, I mean, typically, you know, the the thing that we often suggest is having 100 grams less carbohydrates. Now, you know, that sort of depends. You know, you can kind of back this out and you can kind of reverse engineer it for yourself and see what feels the most right. But you're going to have a lot of guessing going on. and so that's why i wear one of these and that's why i think it's fairly enlightening and um, i think it's helpful and people go well it's not really helpful for me as it relates to my workout days but yeah but yeah but what about the times that you aren't working out which is the majority of your life you know it's pretty useful at that time you know so that that's my thought there She's saying, yes, I know that you can do walking on a rest day, but one of the last podcasts referred to a short-water crossfit as a rest day. For me, any water is a workout, especially if there's a weight train before. Can you define what makes you use train day TDE's versus rest day TDE's? Like I said, I go by my, um, my Fitbit. The only thing that I will change is if my Fitbit, like, for instance, a lot of times my rest days actually end up being more calories than, um, than my uh, workout days, and I'll be a little bit more reliant on fats on those days. So I hope that's helpful. Um, any thoughts on that, April? Just in case there was something that wasn't
1: clear. I agree with what you're saying. I think in in overall, in terms, you know, she's kind of judging by you know she goes and does the wad or she doesn't you know, she could walk three miles and probably have a similar burn than going and doing CrossFit for an hour. Um, I I would suggest kind of generally going by how you feel overall. You know, obviously, you go in and you do weights and you do a, a Metcon, you will probably want to eat the higher days. But if you do something low stress, like an easy walk, you feel good, you're not really hungry, you know, then you can, you can eat less.
0: Well, there are instances, like for instance, you know, with the CrossFit Open, you know, there was people that were doing four-minute workouts. Obviously, you don't need workout day macros on that day, right? Okay. So um, that's, that's a consideration. Um, I would say that the other thing, too, is that if you're new to all of this, um, she's actually saying that that was exactly her. Um, I did. I was kind of in the same boat, Sarah. I, I had the opportunity to do RX, and I chose to do scaled, and I was really happy that I did. Um, I don't really. It was kind of weird. I I did the first workout RX because I didn't think it's. I didn't think they did a great job. I mean, they're in a tough position, so I'm. I'm really. Don't take this as me being critical of them. Um, and, and I love her skill training. She started, she's saying it, she called it skill training. And, and I, love, I love the idea of you know trying to challenge yourself at times, but 16.1 as an example was too scale for me. And so r- rather than kind of do what a workout that, that I didn't think challenged my abilities I decided to do RX and then do a lot less work volume, which is fine. Still got a pretty good workout. It was, you know, it was an AMRAP, so pretty much you're stuck there doing it for 20 minutes no matter what. Um, so that that ended up being fine. The second workout I thought actually was a great scaled workout, and because you know I can't like string double unders back to back to back, it would have just been a double unders workout for me. You know, um, the toes-to-bar, I mean, I have toes-to-bar. I could have got through the 25 pretty easily. Um, I don't have, like, the clamshell toes-to-bar, though, where you see at the CrossFit Games where, you know, they're like, one, two. Yeah, it's not like that. It's more of like a swingy momentum thing that actually ends up kind of tweaking my back a little bit. So I actually prefer – if I'm doing a wad in a regular day, I do need the chest for that reason. Um you know, I have worked on the skilled thing. I have tight hamstrings and short hips, you know, and you know, no matter no matter how much practicing, you know, I do, I'm still gonna always have tight hamstrings and short hips. And so, um, can I do it? Certain circumstances, I do. Certain workouts, I do. Um, in this instance, I do not, um, but, I think we covered that pretty good there. Um, Oh, the only the only other argument I make, real quick, is that um, if you're new and uh, you're just trying to use your your um, Fitbit or your Garmin or whatever as kind of the Bible for the amount of calories that you should eat, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm Suggesting is that you use the difference to come up with an estimation that works right for you. Um, one of the arguments that we make is actually what we call the gradually awesome approach, where you will use those low-volume days to actually get to a little bit of a, a calorie deficit so you don't end up you know, gaining a lot of weight in that scenario. And so kind of what we had talked about previous to that, didn't really account for that so much. I think when you're new, and you're just trying to work your way up to reasonable calories, that's something that works for a lot of people. Does require a little bit more patience, and most new folks tend to be lacking in a little bit of patience, but I'm telling you, once you've been doing Eat Perform for three months, the patience part ends up being good. She says she thinks her Fitbit sucks, never goes over 2,000, it seems even with 16.1. Could it be that I run low? I have gained five pounds in three weeks. It could be. I mean, I think that, you know, know, April, you know, probably agrees with you that um, for uh, relatively small framed athletes, um, it runs a little bit low in the amount of work that you need to do you know, to get it to run high. Um, that said, my wife thought the exact same thing. And so when I started having her go on these four mile hikes with me, magically her burns went up to 2,500. So I'm just telling you for me to get to 3,000, 3,500, it does take a fair amount of work to do that, you know? Um, and it, can't be wad type work, you know. Um, in fact, a lot of my wad days are some of my lower days. I mean, because obviously I don't always feel like going on a hike on the days that I'm gonna wad. Um, if that makes sense. What's your experience there, April? I know we're getting a little bit close to the time. We don't have one more question. Um, I
1: mine runs very low, and I've always eaten five six hundred calories over my burns, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: My lies, sir. <laughs> well, Sarah's saying that she's gained a little bit of weight right now, and and I would be a little bit cautious. I would probably look at doing something similar to what I was saying to where, you know, if you're if you're if you're, you know, that three to five pound threshold is where you really want to be careful, and you want to pull your rest days back. The problem is with new people, a lot of a lot of people are coming from this, you know. I work out six days, I do two a days, all this other type of stuff. And then you know they wanna put carbohydrates around all those workouts. That would be an example of what I was talking about earlier, Sarah, where I might look for an opportunity to have kind of a lower volume day, be more of a fat day, even if it was a workout day in that scenario. Um, So keep that in mind. She's saying, mind you, I busted out some PRs and so she's kind of coming off of like a 30-day challenge. Um definitely probably water, you know, is gonna be a little bit of it. Uh certainly introducing carbohydrates, you know, some level of cycling is always gonna make a little bit of a difference there. Um, but if you're coming from kind of a restricted background, you know, don't be in a super hurry to add in a bunch of carbohydrates or get to your TDE as fast as possible because you know, um, it might freak you out a little bit. One thing I will say is people coming from those backgrounds do tend to show muscle on a, on a body fat test much quicker than someone like Lindsey Sims, as an example, has been doing YouTube for 30 years. Um, last question is, Candice, what are your thoughts on rice or pea-based protein powders? So the basic idea with vegan or vegetarian proteins is that the bioavailability for those tends to be not as good. So you just need a little bit more, but, um, I'm not, you know, my, my daughters are vegetarian. And so, you know, it's a little hard for them to sort of get to this point where their mindset is where, they're eating an adequate amount of pea protein or you know rice-based protein but if you can stomach it you know i would try to go a little bit more so as an example you know if you were you know 150 pounds um that basically puts you at about 105 which is our kind of baseline recommendation you probably want to go one-to-one, maybe even a little bit more than one-to-one. So 150 to 175 grams for 150 pound person. Um, some people would argue even as much as two times. Frankly, I think you know that can be hard digestively on some people. And so that's the one thing I would keep in mind. But when you look at most people relying on plant-based proteins, They will struggle with the muscle building side of things. And I think that some of it is just overall under eating, you know. Um, And as they actually kind of normalize their way of eating or they become more um, cognizant of it, um, they too can be fine. Um, we certainly have a number of vegan vegetarian athletes that, that do fine. I mean, certainly if you look at, um, Anna Halda, you know, she's got, she, she's eight packed up, you know, she's vegetarian. She does use some meat occasionally. Um, so she's not super, um, Jordy, yes, I'm, I'm forgetting Jordy, um, Jordy's on the call. Um, but Jordy is also, she's pescatarian and, um, and. She's saying that she's veggie, but I think she's pescatarian, unless she's all veggie now. Um, but she, um, she said, "Oh yeah, she's faux veggie," but she is mostly, um, she's mostly veggie and uh, pescatarian. For those that don't know, I didn't know is basically um, seafood.
1: Are there any other qualifications to pescatarian that I'm not aware of? No, you just you don't mind eating the animals that have a nervous, that do not have the nervous system. So fish don't qualify. So,
0: uh, I don't always know the rules, but you know, it, it is sort of interesting to me because, you know, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast with Mark Sisson, and I've always considered Mark Sisson and, and Rob Wolf to be two of the better paleo guys. But I, I got to tell you, I mean, like they were just losing me on some of their stuff you know, and, and the, the, the rules that are sort of unnecessary. And I think that, you know, like Anna, you know, she's got a great personal reason to be vegetarian. Um, you know, a lot of people just, you know, they work better that way, you know, and we have no, you know, qualms against what works for people, you know? And, uh, you know, but, but yeah, it was funny, like listening to Joe Rogan podcast and all these rules (coughs) that sort of made no sense at all. They sort of glossed over. I I really do hate the fact that inflammation, um, seems to be confused with chronic inflammation all the time. Um, whenever you're having a discussion about grains or any type of (coughs) carbohydrates, um, and I know that you know, Marxist as an example is pretty evolved as it relates to, you know, allowing for some dairy. You know, he talked about white rice in the past. You know, um, but some of the stuff that he was talking about was very three years ago. You know what I mean? And since then, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of information has come out that sort of debunked. And I was kind of surprised to hear that some of that was still part of the message. Doesn't mean that I'm not a, still a fan of Marxist, and I think that. Mark Sisson is very good for a lot of people. Um, But when we're talking about, you know, he was talking about activity a lot and he kept talking about runners. And it was almost as if no one else is active, you know. And, um, you know, he was making the argument that runners don't need as much. We make that argument all the time. Um, But, you know, if you're a bodybuilder as an example, and you, you know, they're just, I've never, ever, even once ever heard of a paleo bodybuilder. They, they just don't exist. You, you would, you know, it, you need carbohydrates for muscle protein turnover. And once again, we're not talking about extreme carbohydrates, but it was just, it was just sort of interesting kind of piece by piece like the stuff that we brought to the table that, you know, um uh, was kind of interesting. So yeah, I thought it was kind of good. I mean, I still like Mark Sisson. I think his message is fine. Not no no beef against Mark Sisson. But, you know, I felt like he could have been a better advocate for his own message without throwing out some stuff that's sort of being kind of put out there as nonsense. So there you go. That's that's where that's at. Um, I'm sure some people will be wholly offended by me saying that, but you know in general, I think that most people that you would listen to, you know ninety percent of their message is going to be good, and ten percent you might want to take it or leave it. that's what I'm talking about you know, and that might include us for you, right and so keep that in mind. so I appreciate everybody being here. April, enjoy your Tom-free hu- household, and we'll talk to you later.
1: Good night.
0: right. Bye-bye, everybody.